0: This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network.
1: Welcome to Plated Earth, where we share at least a fraction of the crazy, wonderful, and insightful stories of produce. I'm your host, JJ.
0: And I'm your host, Chris. We are also the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. Please show your support for us and Specialty Produce by downloading the app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases.
1: Now grab a snack and get ready for Food Fables, where we share original short fiction stories about produce and its connection to people, culture, and more. Dimitri stood below the clock tower, looking up at its face and tipping his hat as if to say good morning. The tower was built in 1948 and quickly became an icon of the original farmer's market in Los Angeles. Dimitri thought of it more like a lighthouse, guiding hungry souls to its garden, and so he always paid his respects upon arriving safe and sound each early morning. After finishing his baking duties at the pie shop, Dimitri took to the market with his mandolin, playing a song he had learned in Naples. He strolled up and down the produce stands with a smile, letting his gaze dance across the rainbow of fruits and vegetables displayed before him until suddenly he froze, as if he had found the pot of gold. He stood there and watched as a farmer arranged a display of asparagus next to a copy of Yul Gibbon's book, Stalking the Wild Asparagus, published in 1962. Dimitri motioned at the book. The farmer nodded with approval, and so Dimitri took it over to the community tables and set it down with his mandolin. He ordered his lunch. Today it was a savory crepe with fennel sausage, leek, apple, and goat cheese, and sat down, flipping through the pages. When he was finished, he closed the book and wiped a single tear from the corner of his eye with a handkerchief that he kept in his front pocket tucked in under his suspender strap. He replaced the book on the farmer's stand and purchased a bundle of asparagus. He returned to the community tables, prepping his American comfort dinner in his head, walleye pike and an asparagus casserole with a creamy porcini mushroom bechamel. Dimitri finished his lunch slowly, bringing his senses back into the moment to enjoy his current meal without the distraction of dinner to come. Several people sat down around him, and, as usual, with a wipe of his napkin across his lips, like a curtain unveiling the opening act, he began his story. Dimitri spoke. 1972. A chef in his mid-thirties was boarding a plane in London with a one-way ticket to Los Angeles. He had been working at restaurants around the globe for many years and was finally ready to settle in somewhere. He had decided on Los Angeles because, amid his worldly travels, he had fallen in love with so many cultures, flavors, and people. He felt that America offered a mosaic of culture in the places he'd been. Plus, he was born in Los Angeles and spent the first four years of his life there. Not enough to remember it vividly, but enough to feel a calling home. His parents, who had retired in London, leaving him their latest family-owned restaurant in Covent Garden, had both passed away in the last year. It was time to answer his call from the City of Angels. The chef stowed his carry-on and took his seat at a window above the wing. It was a surprisingly empty flight, and so he had the whole row to himself. Shortly after takeoff, the stewardess greeted him and took his drink order. The chef immediately noticed her misty blue eyes. They were calming and intriguing, as if they were encasing a depth of knowledge and experience. Misty was in her late fifties, though she didn't look it. Her skin was smooth, her smile spirited, her silver hair pulled back in a flawless bun. Her uniform was perfectly pressed, and she had a delicate blue paisley scarf tied around her neck, which further accentuated her eyes. She had an aura of elegance that made passengers want to sit up straight and practice their please and thank yous.
0: Your water, sir.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Can I get you anything
1: else? The chef paused awkwardly. Misty made him feel as though he were a young boy with a crush on his teacher. Uh, uh, sorry, it's just, you have the most beautiful eyes. I mean, I'm sure you get that all the time. I do. Misty said with a wink. The chef let out a low chuckle.
0: I'm only teasing. Thank you for the compliment. I do appreciate it.
1: The chef managed to strike up a conversation. Pretty soon, Misty took the aisle seat as the chef slowly excavated some incredible stories that were buried like treasure behind those blue eyes. She'd get up to tend to other passengers as needed, but would always return back to dish out more stories to the eager ears of the chef. Between the two of them, they'd probably seen the entire world twice over, yet she saw some of the same places he'd been to in a completely different light. Still, they shared a commonality in their experiences. With each city they talked over, they couldn't help but mention the food. Which restaurant had the best breakfast, lunch, or dinner, the most enjoyable experience, the most captivating ingredients, and which dish made them really fall in love with that city.
0: So what is it that's bringing you home? Avocados. Really? Why is that? Well, one
1: thing I remember from being in L.A. as a kid was my mother making me chocolate avocado smoothies. It was just avocado blended with cocoa powder, Greek yogurt, honey, ice, and milk, but I loved it. I don't think I've had one since I moved away.
0: I'm sure you'll fix that pretty quickly.
1: What takes you home? Asparagus. Yeah?
0: Yeah. I grew up in Minnesota. My mother died when I was four, and my dad worked a lot. Anyway, I spent a lot of time with my neighbor and babysitter, Ellen. She was amazing.
1: And she cooked the best asparagus in town?
0: (laughs) Not exactly. We lived near farmlands, just off the interstate. Ellen would take me for walks, and we'd pretend we were explorers. She showed me how to identify different bugs and birds. She was fascinated by how they flew. She showed me how to whistle with a piece of grass, how to use the stars as a map, and how to find wild asparagus growing along the interstate. We'd be sure there was no one on the road. There hardly ever was. And we'd climb down carefully where the land dipped between the roadside and the rickety fence line of a farm. Asparagus loves the light. It's an herbaceous perennial, meaning that the growth above ground comes back every year. As a flourishing plant, asparagus can grow up to six feet tall, and it's ferny, like fennel or dill. Ellen told me how the dead stalks from the previous year are often easier to spot than the new growth, as they turn a bright canary yellow. Although, lucky for us, new asparagus stalks sprout and emerge at different times and rates. Occasionally, there would be one or two zealous stalks sprouted upwards, like raised hands in a crowd. We'd use my binoculars, made of cardboard, to play I spy with my little eye looking for those skinny green arms. Ellen always had something new to teach me about our favorite veggie, like that they can tolerate Minnesota's seasons, including freezing temperatures and even light frosts, or that there are male and female plants, and the female plants will eventually sport pretty red berries, though she warned that the berries were toxic. Just remember, red means stop.
1: Misty chuckled as she echoed Ellen's warning. She sounds like a pretty knowledgeable and lively woman.
0: She really was. She showed me how to carefully cut each spear as close to the soil level as possible. We wanted them to be between 8 and 10 inches long. Asparagus is a fast grower, so if the spears were too short one day, we'd be back the next day, or the day after that at most. Asparagus plants will continue to grow new spears for about a month, so we'd go collect new ones every couple of days in the spring. Ellen was always sure that we left a few spears to grow fully so that we didn't weaken or kill the plant. She'd pull out the pencil that she used to hold her hair in a bun. She showed me how to do that, too, letting her hair fall so she could measure the diameter of the asparagus spear. Once it shrunk to the size of the pencil, we'd stop harvesting the asparagus so that the plant could store energy for growth for the next year. She was so gentle with every living thing. It's really no wonder she ended up in nursing school at the University of Minnesota.
1: Oh, not a chef?
0: No, but nursing wasn't her only passion.
1: The chef raised his eyebrows, awaiting the rest of the story.
0: Actually, she's the reason why I became a stewardess, and not just because she taught me how to explore. In 1929, Ellen was living in San Francisco and working as a nurse when she saw an advertisement in the window of a downtown storefront. It was for a company called Boeing. It advertised flights to Chicago that would take just 20 hours. Can you imagine? Well... Remember the bugs and the birds she loved to watch? I should have said she envied their ability to fly. Ellen loved being up in the air, and she actually had earned her pilot's license once she moved to San Francisco. Anyway, she went inside and met Steve Simpson, Boeing's regional manager. They chatted about the business of flying that day, and the next, and the next, as she had made a habit of stopping in on her lunchtime strolls to see her newfound friend Steve. One day, Ellen was sharing more about her love for flying and her experiences in the air and hinted that she might like to work for a company like Boeing. Still, Steve discouraged her. The license she held was only for small aircrafts, and her experience fell short of Boeing's requirements. So, she dug a little deeper, inquiring about other opportunities on board. Steve mentioned that the airline had been considering the possibility of hiring male stewards— like they had started to do in Germany, to take on some of the duties that at that time fell on co-pilots in addition to their flying duties. Serving meals, coffee, attending to sick passengers. That's where Ellen saw her opportunity, and she was not shy about it. She asked, why not hire women to do it? (laughs) No
1: way, that's amazing.
0: Yep, and the rest was history. Not only was Ellen intelligent and friendly, but she had the caring nature of a nurse, and she was petite. Only 5'4", which was critical for being able to navigate the aisles in low cabins while only adding a modest weight to the plane's load. Steve, of course, had to get permission from headquarters. And after the initial shock had passed, were they really going to place a young woman in jeopardy with the risks associated with air travel? Well, nevertheless, they agreed. Ellen Church became the world's first stewardess.
1: Did you ever see her again?
0: Yes. In 1932, she came back home. She had to stop working after being in a car accident and so decided to continue her studies at the University of Minnesota. I was just starting school there as she finished her second degree, this time in nursing education. She told me her story and about life in the air, and I couldn't get enough of it. I had never even been outside the state. Before we parted ways for the last time, she told me how she thought of me every time she served asparagus with the meals on the flights and how she'd tell passengers about our foraging adventures together. Ellen went on to work as a captain in the Army Nurse Corps during World War II. After the war, she earned her master's degree in Chicago and then settled down in Indiana, where she worked as a hospital administrator. And me, well... Misty raised her hands,
1: holding her palms to the ceiling.
0: Here I am. I think about Ellen every time I serve asparagus with dinner on a flight. It's amazing, you know. We're all connected to one another simply because we share this earth.
1: And it's food. The chef smiled and its food. The plane landed and the two said goodbye. The chef had roasted asparagus with dinner his first night in LA, and he imagined Misty having an avocado shake before taking off in the morning for her next destination. About a year later, the chef was in St. Paul for the Minnesota State Fair when he found himself recalling Misty's stories and her eyes. He felt his body begin moving before he even realized where he was going. He drove north on the interstate, hearing Misty's voice describing the dip in the road and the ditch where her asparagus plants grew near her childhood home. He slowed as he saw just a few tiny green arms raised up among the yellow stalks that had already died back. He pulled the car over and climbed down. He had no intention of cutting the spears, he just wanted to see them, see her. As he stood there admiring the wild asparagus, he heard laughter just up the road. He covered the sun from his eyes, squinting to see clearer. It was a family. They walked closer, the father pointing to other asparagus plants along the way. The younger of the two children was waving a single asparagus spear like a wand. This is great, isn't it, honey? The mother said.
0: I never would have thought asparagus grew wild here like this. That stewardess sure had some stories, didn't she?
1: The chef lit up. He knew she was talking about Misty. As he stood there, pretending not to eavesdrop as the older child spouted Misty's fun facts about asparagus, another car arrived.
0: Check it out! Wow, that's pretty cool, huh?
1: A man said to his friend as they stumbled down into the
0: ditch. Ha! You're such a food nerd. Can't believe you made this a must-see pit stop. We've got to get back on the road. Come on. I mean, okay, it's kind of cool.
1: The friend said as he got closer. The chef laughed as he headed back to his car. Although Misty wasn't physically there, he felt as though she wasn't far. He knew her tiny feet had left their prints in the ditch where his own footprints now lied. It was as if her spirit had grown into the asparagus stalks themselves, sitting up straight and proper. From the moment he met her, he couldn't see asparagus without sensing her presence. It really is amazing we're all connected to one another through this earth, especially through its food, Dimitri concluded with a distant smile. The crowd that was listening slowly cleared from the tables, all but
0: one. It
1: was the farmer from the asparagus stand.
0: Dimitri, I, I don't mean to pry, but didn't your parents retire in London? And after they passed, well, wasn't that when you moved here to L.A.?
1: Dimitri smiled and gave the farmer a wink. Thank you for the asparagus, Dimitri said. With that, he left for the day, tipping his hat to the clock tower as he walked home to prepare his date with dinner. The end. Well, folks, that concludes this week's episode. Be sure to follow at Specialty Produce App on Instagram for some amazing produce photos. And while you're on there, give us a follow at Plated Earth. Tune in next time for the latest food buzz.
0: And remember cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. We'll catch you next time.